Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is Bob Dotto. Bob Dotto is a yoga teacher and massage therapist based in Brooklyn and a practitioner of Ashtanga Yoga under the guidance of Eddie Stern. Bob is a prolific writer on body-centered spirituality. He is a founding member of the Babarazzi and was the managing editor of the internationally acclaimed Journal of Religious Studies, Parabola. He was also a founding member of the elusive post-art punk band, S Process, and Bob received his MFA in writing and poetics from Naropa University's Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics in 2002, and he is a graduate of the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. He currently owns and operates the Church Avenue Yoga and Body Work Center in Kensington, Brooklyn. So with that, hello, Bob. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm really excited about this interview because I feel like this is the second part of a, of a two-part series um, after I had interviewed Alex Audaire, who really recommended I interview you for this podcast. So I'm looking forward to a discussion today, which I think will um, focus predominantly on a project that was very controversial that you were a founding member of, the Babarazzi. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that discussion, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your story and how you uh, came to yoga. Okay, um, hmm, how did I come to yoga? Well, I had been interested in sort of spiritual things uh, from early on as a kid, Um, right around, you know, the the years everyone seems to do it, which is teenage years, Mm -hmm. right? If you're going to get into it, a lot of people do it at that time. So around 16, I was 13, 16 in that area, I was playing in bands and punk bands and stuff, and in that world... Interestingly enough, there was some spiritual stuff going on and people talking about Buddhism and there were certainly like Hare Krishnas floating around and, and it was just all there. So I had uh, kind of started getting into that kind of stuff and reading about a lot of that stuff and trying to, you know, pretending to be a Buddhist for a while. And I did some fanzines. Um, I did a fanzine called Always Mindful <laughs> at the ripe age of maybe 15 or so. Wow. My mom would photocopy it at her, at her work. That's awesome. It was basically a lot of bad Buddhist poetry and, <laughs> and, and worse photographs of bands. So I did that for a while. And then, um, yeah, I just, I've been interested in that kind of stuff for a long time. Um, but I kind of resisted the physical part of it, the yoga part of it, um, for years. And, uh, Mainly because I remember thinking that if I do it, I remember thinking that it's going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And if I start doing it, then it's just, I'm just going to get hooked. I just knew that somehow. Mm-hmm. And so I just would never go to a class. You know? And mm-hmm. my wife at the time uh, was very much involved in, in practicing yoga and had been for years. And uh, you know, she was always like, you should just try it. Just try it. And then lo and behold, I did. And then that was that, you know, for maybe 10 years ago or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe more. Uh, yeah. And so it was just part of, it was just kind of like part of that, the stuff I was into, you know, I was just more thinking and talking about it rather than doing it, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So then I just you were interested it. more in the philosophy and the meditation before you yes. stepped into an, like an asana class. Yeah. Anything you could kind of do on the couch, basically, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know if, if, that I didn't have to like go somewhere to do, then I was into it. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> Do you still have those uh, publications that you made at 15 of Bo- Buddhist poetry? Yeah, they're at, um, they're at my mom's house. I did one issue, <laughs> and then I, I did one and a half issue. I did one issue, and then I had another issue that, which is common with me. Uh, I finished it, but I never printed it, you mm-hmm. know, but I have it. It's got the, the photographs are actually, like, taped to the paper. And then my mom would go at work and photocopy it, and I remember 
being so blown away because she could double side. She could do double sided <laughs> copies. And to me, that was like That's high so tech. far out. I was like, <laughs> when she got it back to me, I was like, this is real. This looks real. Wow. You know, because I always assumed it was just going to be one page blank, one page blank. Um, so, yeah, so I have that. I, and since then, I've done many zines. I've published newspapers and little booklets, and I've always been just kind of doing pamphlets and blogging and, and you know, just in publishing forever. So, yeah, I did a few issues of that or one or two issues of that early one, and then for, since then I've done a number of different zines and, nice. and things. Yeah. I, can really, I can really empathize with that, the, the compulsion to, to create, like, pamphlets and publications. When I was really young, I would invent fake theater companies and create programs. I was really, my grandma took me to the theater, so I would create fake programs with like fake bios of actors, and I was really into newsletters, and so I would put out newsletters about what the next season is, but it was a total fantasy in my head. And I think there's, there's somewhere back home I have to look, up, look them up, but I definitely, in fact, I think actually this, the project, this website that I'm working on that this podcast is a part of is really kind of the, the evolved, um, the, evol- the more, the, the, the current manifestation of that kind of young desire to kind of put something out there in the world. Well, you were like the, uh, the fantasy football of like thespians. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We should do that. We need to get like, uh, d- programs of actual people who are performing and create sort of epic performances. That would be pretty just, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. See Let's... if they have a scandal, you know, that'll like, we'll throw that in the mix. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so you obviously, from a very young age, had a desire to publish and to write. Mm-hmm. And one of the projects that perhaps you're mo- the most notorious for your writing, which you collaborated with several other people, is the Babarazzi, which mm-hmm. was uh, a fairly controversial project. And I would, so I would love for you, for those th- listeners that haven't heard about the Babarazzi, would you describe what the Babarazzi was? Uh, it's still up online, but it's no longer, um, it's no longer being updated. Right. What the Babarazzi was, what the inspiration was behind the Babarazzi, why the founders felt the need for it, etc. So, um, the, so. Hmm. Where to start? So the Babarazzi was, and is, since it's still online, mm-hmm. a site that was taking a critical look at the commercial culture of yoga. That was our thing. Um, so it really had nothing to do with yoga practice. It was very rare that we ever talked about anything related to specific kinds of practices, or is this real yoga or whatever, any of that sort of discourse we were not doing. So it was solely based on the commercial representation of yoga culture, Mm -hmm. commercial yoga culture. Um, So that's what it was and is. And uh, the reason was kind of like, you know, over the years I'd been hearing about things, you know, know, teachers doing this and that and just lots of Lots of stuff, lots of stuff in the yoga world, you know, controversies and this, and and all of us have been hearing about it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't really know much about who the the players were. I knew of them, but they weren't really, I I wasn't really in that world necessarily. Um, But I just kept hearing about it. And then we were just at some point, like, we were all kind of doing blogs and whatever, stuff like that, and... And we were just like, well, let's just, let's just try something. Let's just put it up. What would it look like, you mm-hmm. know, if, if we put up, like, what would a post look like, you know, one day? So we put up a post that was a very short post. I, I don't even remember what it was on. I think it was about, like, 
I don't even remember. It was like a picture of people doing yoga at maybe Wanderlust or something. Mm-hmm. We made some sort of like snarky comment about it. <laughs> and then that was that, you know. <laughs> and then, and, then um, and it was kind of like the idea was, well, these people, these sort of yoga celebrity people are saying a lot. Like mm-hmm. we're getting inundated with all this just, just stuff constantly mm-hmm. and all these ads and all this these workshops and just everything, you know, mm-hmm. just coming at us. So we're like, well, let's just throw something back at them, yeah. you know? And then just around this time, we kept hearing about this idea of like a yoga celebrity, like a celebrity teacher. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of clicked. It was like, well, they're acting like celebrities, but they're not getting the full pic. They're not getting the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the celebrity lifestyle isn't just, you know, look at me, look at me. It's also the public responding to that and being like, okay, we are going to look at you. Mm-hmm. So that's what we decided to do was look at them. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we like to say like, well, they want the spotlight. Let's give them the spotlight and just keep putting the light on them, you know? And uh, <clears throat> so that was kind of like one of the ideas um, about it. Uh, originally, the Babarazzi was actually not a failed concept, but a highly retuned one very quickly because mm. the original idea was to be the TMZ of the yoga world. We wanted mm. to just be gossip, just trash, trash <laughs> journalism, like as <laughs> shitty, trashy as we could make it. Like, that's what we wanted it to be. We, we just thought that's the other side of the celebrity culture. Um, but we're all very private people, and <laughs> we like our privacy, mm. and uh, so we decided, no, that... To, to be that, you have to really start prying into yeah. people's lives. And yeah, let's just sure. not do that. Let's just, let's not do that. Let's do something else where we just respond to what they do mm-hmm. in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. So we made that very clear really early on and just stuck to that the whole time. And we was, used to get stuff all the time from people telling us, oh, well, did you hear this person and this person is doing this? And, you know, big teachers, you know, emailing us being like, well, I heard, never published any of it. You know, so the site was really about the, the image, the mm-hmm. image of yoga culture, whether that be the people who are presenting themselves as an image, excuse me, or the, um, the products and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Can you give some examples of some problematic symptoms of yoga celebrity culture? Well, here's the thing. We didn't, and, I, and for the most part, still don't see... The problems that are in commercial yoga culture are the same problems that are in commercial anything culture. Yeah, right. It, we really saw it as separate. Mm-hmm. It was just that's the kind of stuff we were into. We were into yoga, so that was the culture that we were hearing a lot about. If mm-hmm. we were into basketball, we would be talking about commercial basketball. You know, yeah. we were just all tuned to kind of like commercial crit- critique of, of capitalism and commerce and mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the critiques you can make of commercial yoga culture are really the same ones you can make about any other commercial mm-hmm. culture. You know, I, I don't think it really has anything to do with, like, is it taking away from yoga or doing it a disservice or anything? I, I don't really see it like that, mm. you know? Um, so in one sense, yes, I could say a lot about it, but it's almost like <laughs> there's so much to say. You so know? you don't see it as taking away from yoga necessarily? No, I mean, I don't. I don't you know, yoga is a practice, mm-hmm. you know, and it's been around a long time in many different forms. And I don't think that a bunch of, you know, not to go here so quickly, but like white people tend to think that they like, when they do something, it's like earth shattering, Mm -hmm. even if it's when they're doing something stupid. Yeah. Like all this stupid stuff, it's commercial stuff, you know, like yoga has been around for thousands of years in some form, whether Mm -hmm. it's the, not the asanas or however you look at it. 
you know, this stuff is a fad. You know, this, the commercial side of it's the fad. The practice, the people practicing will still do it. Mm. You, know, mo- you know, a lot of them, I don't know how many, but, you know, people will. And we often thought of that in terms of breakdancing. Because <laughs> a lot of us grew up in the 80s, and, like, so we're kind of around and seeing breakdancing. And the thing about breakdancing, or punk, you know, mm. was that it comes out, people are doing this weird thing, you know, underground or whatever, Commercial interest comes in, heaps a lot of crap into it and changes the narrative and does all these wild things with it. And then when the commercial culture pulls back and is like, yeah, we're done, everyone thinks, oh, well, breakdancing's done and, you know, punk is dead and all these kind of things. And no, it's not. Mm -hmm. Breakdancing was still going on. The commercial just looked away. Mm -hmm. And breakdancing was getting more insane, more crazy, more wild, like just more amazing. Mm -hmm. But the commerce wasn't interested, you know? So I think it's the same thing with yoga culture. When the, when the commercial side is done and moves over to something else, people will feel as if, ah, oh, it really took its toll, yoga's now dead. Of course it won't be dead. Mm-hmm. It's an inter- people love it. So there's, a, there's a, in a certain sense, I, what I hear you saying is that we really shouldn't take the, the commercial of, commercialization of yoga too seriously as like a, a legitimate threat against the practice itself. Certainly not against the practice itself. If the real teachers will be real teachers. The real students will be real students. There's, like I said, there's plenty of things to talk about with regards to the commercial aspect of yoga, but it has to do with commerce as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. It has very mm-hmm. little to do with yoga because, mm-hmm. because you know, weight loss pills and stuff don't really have much to do with it. Mm-hmm. Not because, like, ooh, it's so bad. It's just because it just doesn't have much to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, no, nowhere does it say you need to be a certain size or a certain flexibility or a certain weight to practice yoga. Nowhere says that. So, you know. so is there, but, but are there a couple things that the com- you can distinguish in your personal understanding of, you know, yoga philosophy, yoga practice, between the commercial narrative of what yoga is, you know, in a lot of, you know, commercial narratives, as a result of what I hear you saying, the consumerization of yoga, like what, what is, what distinguishes the practice from, in your understanding, from some of the commercial narratives, or if you can give a couple examples. When you get up really early, Right when you when your lifestyle shifts because you're getting up at four forty-five or five a.m. or some some obscene hour, right? There's just no time to think about any of that stuff. It's just not really present. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have a mat, so you had to buy that somehow. Um, but if you're getting up that early, and that's an example, obviously you don't have to do that. But for example. It's just not present. Your mind isn't awake enough to really be thinking about a lot of this stuff. So the practice happens before, and I think that's why, in fact, they say that's why the early practice is so important and can be so strong is because you're actually not even wholly awake. Mm -hmm. So you just aren't really, you know, that thinking, worrying mind isn't there. And the world of commerce is a thinking, worrying mind. Mm. Like, that's what Mm. it is. It's built on that. It's built to make you worry, make you wish you had something else, et cetera. If you can get up and you can practice, your practice is done. By the time time you're awake and all that stuff is now starting to feed into your brain, you've already finished. You're at work, you know, or whatever. So it might carry over into the next day or something, but, you know, what distinguishes the practice from the commercial side is that you do it. (laughs) (laughs) You just do it. You don't do... Commerce, the, the, the image and the spectacle of it all is, is all talk. Mm-hmm. It's just chatter. Yeah. It's a lot of talk, you know. And, and there's always this, this whole conscious capitalism movement was really trying to be like, it's not all talk. Like, we're, we're walking the talk or whatever. You know, but it is. It's still just talk. 
you know, it's talk. Mm -hmm. And when you practice, it's usually silent. Right. It really comes down to that, like biology. One, you're opening your mouth. The other one, you're opening your nostrils. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Interesting. I like that. I like that. um, Good. (laughs) Distinguishing that, those two in that way, the talk and the silence. Mm. So I want to ask you, uh, because you did tar, uh, I don't want to say target, but there were particular figures, uh, I don't want to name names, but there were particular figures that received a lot of heat from the Babarazzi. Sure. And there were certain individuals who saw a pattern in that most of these figures were women. Uh-huh. And so there, was a, there, was, um, there have been criticisms that there was um, a sexism embedded in the, the narrative of the Babarazzi. How would you mm-hmm. respond to that? Well, you know, we res- we responded to the things we saw. And the, the things we saw were not entirely women, uh, from women, but a lot of it was. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the commercial side of yoga is targeted to women. Mm-hmm. It's targeted largely to white women. Yeah. Um, of a certain economic stature, typically. Yeah. Um, and that's the subject we were looking at. You mm-hmm. know, we were looking at the commercial side, and the commercial side, it was catered enti- almost entirely to women. Mm-hmm. So women showed up a lot, yeah. you know, yeah. on the site. Um, and, yeah, but, you know, th- which is not to say that, that that that's not really an excuse. It's just, like, what was happening. Right. You know, we could have easily, you know, when John Friend, there were certain male figures that were coming up that we would we would touch on, but the men were almost, like, behind the scenes. Like, I don't know who owns the businesses. Like, I don't know who owns Guyam or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's a man or a woman, but you know, I've always heard that like the women are in front, but the men are really the owners of the businesses or mm-hmm. something. And like, mm-hmm. there's a, you know, a, a terrible, you know, displacement of who owns what yeah. as, according to gender, at least, um, and race. Uh, but, um, yeah, that was just the stuff we were getting. You know, it was about, was about the celebrities of yoga, and most of them seemed to be, at least on our end, women. But mm-hmm. it was never a conscious thing to do right. that. And as far as the sexism goes, you know, we said this right. You know, if we put up a post and people thought it was sexist or misogynistic or something, you know, we never really got defensive about that because they, they could be. They could have been. Some of those posts could have been somewhat sexist. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but it's... Things aren't one or the other. So taken in a certain context, a certain post might be a little bit sexist, you yeah. know, and that's a shame. It's not something we wanted to do. But to us, you know, uh, it was part of the conversation. You know, mm-hmm. that was never our intention, obviously, at least obvious to me. Um, but, yeah, things, if we misstepped or put things in an unfortunate context, you know, with that, um, that was not our intention. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. You know, and if nothing, at least brought something to the subject to the foreground. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one is this is not totally related, but someone in the con- we we used the term retarded once in a post. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we said something like, "Oh, it's so retarded," and uh, someone people probably weren't happy. about They were that. not happy about that, and you know, I didn't think anything of it. I like it. we were because we were just saying it like like you say it, yeah. like that careless kind of way of saying that, and. There was a, when someone called us out on it, there was a second where we were like, hey, that term, you know, isn't, you know, in use anymore, so it's kind of fair game or something. And then the person was like, actually, you know, I have a, I have a child who um, is developmentally disabled, and, you know, he gets called, ret- that's the way that, yeah, while the term yeah. isn't used, he, it's getting used against him. Mm-hmm. And that was like, okay, yeah. like, 
you're right. So we went back to the article. We didn't erase it. We put a line through it so that people know we used it because mm-hmm. we wanted people to say, hey, we messed up here. And then we changed the word. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how we approached all that, when it, whether it was about uh, gender issues or allegations of sexism or something like that, which were very mi- – I never – like we maybe got – I only saw that accusation maybe once about mm. one article mm-hmm. that was ever I ever saw that. Um, but yeah, you know, that's t- totally a legit critique, mm. I would say, yeah. of the site. Do you think that this role that I see the Barbarazzi filling in the community, which is a kind of critical voice, um, you know, uh, do you think that this is an important role that often is, you know, now that the site is down and generally there is not this kind of critique going on on in other on other platforms do you think that this is a missing voice in the discussion that that that's important i think i have to be honest i don't and and this isn't like i don't really you know i'm not a part of it but i actually don't totally know what's going on as far as the commerce i did mm-hmm. today cuz i knew we were doing the interview i like went back and was like what happened to all these people we were talking about like what are they doing and it's a dark world. It's, it's dark, so dark out there. It's really dark. It's dark. You know, now would have been a great time for us to start. Because a lot of the people we were looking at were just starting their branding sort of every year in or something. But now it's like they're full steam ahead. And it's, it's wild. But anyway, um, the question was, uh, oh, is it missing? Our intent was to, we felt that the commercial side of yoga or the celebrity side of yoga was so integrated and ingrained in the culture, it was seeping into the culture of actual practice that, excuse me, <laughs> gotta edit that burp out, <laughs> or you can keep it. Uh, we thought that it was very difficult for people to tease out a practice yeah. from the, from the, from the, commercial side of it yes so we thought if we put it if we gave it a language and we put enough of a spotlight on it then you could actually see it mm-hmm. and be like oh that's like a that's like you know a rodney yee celebrity sort of thing no offense to rodney Yee, just one of the big big names right so you know oh that's that am i interested in a charismatic commercially kind of corporate instructor or do I want something else? So then you could actually make a distinction between the two. So to answer your question, if people feel that that commercial culture is still rampant and indistinguishable from the practice itself, yeah. then yes, yes. then you, someone should do it. Um, we felt pretty good because we, we felt like after two years, people were really paying attention. And mm-hmm. they had been, there was other people who were sort of hinting at this stuff before and yeah. writing a little bit about it. Um, but we certainly felt that when we were done, that lots of people had, had thought about it. So we were like, okay, good. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to look at these videos anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now we're good. So yeah, if, that's, if that commercial culture is still getting in, in the way, then yes. If it's on its own, let it be on its own. Who cares? I, I think it's getting in the way, for sure. You think it's getting in the way? Well, then there, then yes. But so, so now I want to, because I, I, I think that what you and also Alex, when I interviewed her, spoke about is, you know, we pretend like this is not different. This kind of like commercial culture of yoga is, is different from the other commercial cultures that we have around us, but really it's the same. But, but, and in other, but what I see is, and may, I want to know, I want to see if you agree with me. What I see as being particular or specific to the commercial 
um, the narrative around the commercial commercialization of yoga is that there's generally, you know, in other in other domains of the market, there's there's it's par for the course that there's criticism. You know, there's always criticism, and there's a place for it. Well, it seems like, and it seems, and it seems to me that the response to the babarazzi was a symptom of the fact that in in the yoga commercial um, domain. There's a, a sense that because we're yogis, we shouldn't be talking negatively. We shouldn't be critiquing in this way because it's hateful, it's not kind, it's not compassionate. And, you know, as yogis, we're supposed to be all of these, you know, positive, fluffy things. So I'm curious what your response is to that, if you agree with that. And if you think that some of the response to the Babarazzi, the very, you know, and sometimes very aggressive or, you know, inflammatory responses to the Babarazzi is a result of this kind of thought policing of, of dialogue in the yoga community. Are you, are we allowed to say S-H-I-T? Yes, okay. of course. You can say all of the above. <laughs> Shit, fuck, whatever you want to say. Because <laughs> I curse a lot and I got that from my mom, but I've been kind of reining it in. But that's just total bullshit. I mean, mm. like the, the... The most critical people you will ever meet are sadhus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. go, go talk to a sadhu at some point, and like they're reading the newspaper. They have yeah. all sorts of ideas and critiques of stuff. Every yoga book you've ever read from the old days is a retelling of something earlier and correcting it, mm-hmm. critiquing it and correcting it. Some could say that, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavad Gita people say is, a, is this, am I getting the time period right? Is a response to Buddhism? One of them, I forget which one, but they're like responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're constantly challenging one another. Yes. So whether or not that's an acceptable form of practicing yoga or something is just, it's not even an issue. Like, yeah. of course it is. Yeah. Like, so. So you, so you agree with me then that there is like this idea that is kind of perv- seems to be pervasive in a lot of people's ideas about what yoga is that that we shouldn't be talking critically that we shouldn't be you know because it's not reflecting this kind of weird puritanical nicety that that is that 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 that, that is problematic and that is sort of what's going on with the response to these well, commentaries yeah, the business is the the yoga Businesses that base themselves in spirituality and in in our instance with the Mm -hmm. website, yoga in particular, really felt that they, there was no place for people to call them out on stuff. And we, and, and Yama Talent, which was a perfect example of that. And I say that because she wrote an article, Mm -hmm. David Taylor wrote an article, like, why are we, you know, why are we wasting our time critiquing each other? We should be doing X, Y, and Z. And it's just not, it's just crazy. It's just like, well, where would we be with it's just it's like almost like why are we even having this discussion like of yeah. course you critique things. yeah you know it's i i'm glad you said that because i was actually i was teaching a workshop on the, on the myths um around yoga practice this last weekend and you know one of the things you see a lot in some of these myths especially the myths around shiva is you know who's for those that aren't aware you know is considered like the lord of yoga created yoga blah 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 shiva is often in these myths taunting um, sages, you know, so-called sages who are, you know, it's often um, he's taunting, he's he's poking fun at, he is challenging sages who are who are who are uh, oftentimes they're performing rituals without kind of the heart of the ritual, you know, missing the kind of true dedication or true intention, and it's sort of this just empty uh, performance that's present. And so he's, but that, but I love that you can find even you know in these myths many times, and this goes for you know the, some of the sages that the poses are named after as well. There's uh, there there's there's obviously some of these people who are 
profoundly realized beings according to according to the mythological tradition you can see them in many instances challenging and taunting and critiquing you know it's rife i mean it's all over yeah. the whole thing and it's based on inquiry that's yeah. how you do inquiry um but this comes from this sort of rejection of that it just in where my does that mind, come from yeah it's the spa culture, you know. It's a the very, spa culture. It's a very mm. precious idea. People have a very particular people have a very precious, like yoga is very precious. Yeah. You know, it's this thing. It's quiet. It's very clean. The floors are very clean. Spa you know? culture. That's it's, so good. It's it's just spa culture, you know. And that whole thing is like, it's just like, don't nothing's bad. Nothing's bad, you know. Um, everything is just peaceful and serene, and it's like. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the people I know who practice the most and have and who I've looked up to have been very sharp people, mm-hmm. very critical. Not critical in like they're not assholes. <laughs> they're just they have sharp minds. Yeah. You know, clear minds. They have big, 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 thick, juicy, puffy hearts, but they have very sharp minds. Yeah. You know, so they're not you know what I mean? So when you have both of those, it actually becomes quite a, a lovely, dynamic environment. Mm-hmm. Um, when you try to shut the one out, the critical side out, you know, you just end up with, like, confetti or something. Yeah, you know? and brainwashing, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So can you explain, and uh, if you feel this way, because I would love to... Kind of, because I think that a lot of people think that critique is a is a form of division. So is there a sense in which you can think about critique and you know critical commentary as actually being in the service of um this kind of like you know i don't know i'm thinking the wrong word big-heartedness that you're mentioning about and 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 openness to actually becoming more um uh more integrated with the people around us more integrated with um ourselves in the world does that make sense it does yeah i you know i'm not really a big debater when it comes to yoga like mm-hmm. i don't debate texts i don't debate whether this you know is, is it dualism or non-dual like i just don't yeah. do that too much um there's a vast tradition of that sure. you know in the whole like knowledge-based yoga you know the reading the texts gyan yoga and things like that um so it definitely has its place, and it definitely has its place historically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people who don't do many asanas, but like, you know, read I am that over mm-hmm. and over and over again or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, the non-dualists, you know, that, that, that's their world in a lot of ways, is to critique and unpack and use the intellect in a way, to use the intellect to kind of get to this like no state, mm-hmm. this non-state of being. Um, so yeah, in, in the big sense, of course. Um, but for me, you know, it's really like if you're a good person, you're practicing, if that's your thing, you know, and you're a good person, then you'll critique the things that are worth critiquing and you'll let the other stuff kind of slide. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. That's how I do it, <laughs> you know? And I think that's how a lot of the Babarazzi voices, that's what they, that's the kind of people they were. It was just we had a particular vision we were looking at every day, so we were looking at something specific. But for the most part, it's kind of like, Hey, if you're doing your practice and that's something you want to do, then great. And if you're having trouble with it, maybe we can help, you know. But, you know, be a good person, you know, point, you know, shine lights on things that are important to shine lights on and, mm-hmm. like, move on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> can, chill a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like we've touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to ask 
for maybe some specific examples, if you feel comfortable uh, doing so, of, of reactions that you got to the site mm-hmm. and how the Babarazzi handled those, those reactions. And were you ever afraid? Uh, you know, were, did anyone ever try to sue? Or? Um, so reactions to the site were extremely positive. I mean, it was just, it was constant. Like we, right out of the gate, we had people and we used to, we put them, we used to have them. They would still be there on the site where it was just people emailing us constantly being Mm -hmm. like, thank Thank you. you, Like I never, you know, I've been thinking this, but I've been kind of in the shadows and I've been afraid to say this stuff. And like, I just love the practice. And the most important one that people would say that really touched us was they were like, I was, you know, I keep, I'm having such a hard time practicing because I'm getting inundated with all this mm. stuff and it just feels icky, you know, yeah. and I had a friend recently who, who emailed me and was talking about, he's like, I never did yoga. He was comparing it to, he's like, every time I saw yoga, it was presented like it was green day. He's <laughs> like, but I want to, but all my friends who did yoga present it like it's Fugazi. I don't know if you know these bands, but one's like no. a pop, one's like a pop punk kind of commercial punk band and uh-huh. one's like an underground kind of like like a very genuine punk band. Yeah. Right? So he was basically like, I was getting all this like non-genuine stuff, but the people I knew were very genuine. So yeah. he couldn't find it. He couldn't find his window in. So for a lot of people, the Babarazzi ended up being like a window in, mm-hmm. you know, or a door back into the practice. And to us, that was like, great. That's great. You know, um, as far as negative reactions, yeah, we got those, but those were very much in the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning when it was first kind of happening, like month, first couple months in, you know, we, I mentioned, uh, before the interview, but, uh, you know, elephant journal tried to publish one of our articles and they just got lambasted for it. And then you had, you know, big name teachers, um, emailing them and like being like, you should take this off. You know, people who are in the article, we we critiqued a New York times article that had, um, the article had Ava Taylor and Peter Nardini and, um, Leslie Kamenoff and stuff like that. And we were just making fun of the article kind of just like Mm -hmm. the way the article presented the the whole thing. And that was the big one. That was the one that kind of like, was like, (gasps) people are reading us, you know, because there was all this controversy, um, surrounding it. That was month two. So, or within the first month. So, um, so that was big. We got a lot of emails about that from, the, from some of the people mentioned. And, uh, you know, we were just, we always responded, like, this is what we're doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, so we got that kind of stuff. You know, mostly it was hearsay. You know, mm-hmm. people kind of like, the people who were felt that we were pushing their buttons or attacking them or whatever, they really kind of, I think they caught on quick that if they responded, it was just like, it was like all hell broke loose on our end. Like it was mm-hmm. kind of like, and that's why, you know, some people got it worse than others because they interacted with us. So <laughs> we didn't know them, you know what I mean? Some of them I'd never knew. I'd never heard of some of these people before and they're huge. I had no idea who some of yeah. these people, I didn't know who Sadie Nardini was. I'd never heard that name before. I didn't know who Kelly Morris was. You know, I just didn't know, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, we're like, oh, there's these people. So let's write about, you know, what's going on. And then, um, and I think maybe not them in particular, but other ones, uh, they caught on pretty quick that if they responded that we were going to just be like, just keep at it, at it, at it. So then they just stopped, which mm. was very smart on their part. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Just let us do our thing. You know, <laughs> you do your thing. We'll do ours. And everyone's cool, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, okay, I want to ask about something that actually just came out. Um, and I'm a little torn about it because 
people that I uh, absolutely love and admire are on it, and, it, and I think it's a well-deserved recognition for sure. Uh, but I'm wondering what you think about this, the, the, the article, I'm not sure if you saw it, that recently came out, that, which is like the 100 most influential yoga teachers. I haven't seen it, but I just heard about it. Someone just told me, and they were like, oh, man, you know, the paparazzi, if you were around. I just heard about it. So yeah. I didn't see it. I asked, like, who was on it, and then I heard there was all the, the obvious names were on it. And then literally the next day, Yoga Journal came out with the 10 most influential yoga teachers. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So what, a, yeah, what a... Uh, so I'm just curious, like, if you have any comments about it, and uh-huh. what is this influence? Like, what does it mean in this kind of a context, given, like, the commercial nature of yoga that we're talking about? What is it to be of influence in that way? Okay, well, um, for my first thought was, wow, that's a lot. Like, 100, that's, that's yeah. like, probably most... Most yoga, <laughs> most yoga teachers. So they were like, oh, the 100 most influential yoga teachers are the now. yoga teachers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I was like, that's really just a, a thumbs up to yoga, I guess. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, when I heard who was on it and who was not on it, um, it just sounded to me like um, these, they were talking. Who, who put it out? Do you remember who put it out? Uh, it was Sonema. What's Sonema? Sonema.com. What is that? It's a it's a it's a website. It's like a lifestyle yoga website uh, okay, that yeah. the Babarazzi would probably love. Yeah, that Sonima? has Sonima. It's a it's called. They also have it's called. They have a foundation and and it's basically owned by and operated and funded by this like um, this woman with a lot of money. Yeah, some I'm, benefactors. This is this is you're seeing how literally out of the loop. And the Babarazzi were constantly trying to play catch up because none of us knew it. Yeah, Sonoma's relatively new. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So you know what I what, what I got from that from hearing who was on it was that they're talking about who's been the most influential in the commercial market. Like mm. that's what that's what they're talking about. There's probably a couple like uh, you know sort of less you know less commercial people that show up in there. There's I mean I imagine there has to be if there's a hundred, but sounded to me like the people were just kind of the most influential in directing the market, mm-hmm. you know, towards different styles of yoga or creating brands. You mm-hmm. know, most influential in branding is probably a big deal. You know, if you're talking about like Anusara or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, core power or whatever these things are called, you know, like, um, yeah, I imagine it's more that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I just... I, I just Doesn't necessarily mean anything about how these teachers have influenced someone's personal practice. It could. I mean, if I, I, you know, I imagine these teachers one would hope. Yeah, one would hope. I imagine that they are more than just their brand, and that when you actually take a class with some of these people, that there is good stuff there. I have never taken a class with. I don't think any of the people that I've mentioned thus far or on the site. I don't think so. I'd have to look back, but um, you know, I imagine that they have something to say. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the case. But I mean, I don't know. It's not really like yoga. It's not that this whole like it's they're influencing. It doesn't really. It's not really a big deal. Yeah. It's like it's just something you do. Mm-hmm. You get up and you do it. Mm-hmm. You know that's what you do. It's like it's it's old. It's got you know. It's like everyone here is just trying to like change it and manipulate it and progress it and let's progress it. Let's progress it. It's like, I don't know, just do it. Just yeah. do it. Well, that's, I mean, but that's like the addiction to the new that's embedded in capitalism. I mean, I mean, they have to like rebrand it in order to make, in order to stand out. Yeah, if you're not, if you're not presenting something new, then what are you doing? Yeah. You know, so, 
So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, so, like I said, they could certainly be influencing people on a personal level, but I can't imagine that they're being voted as the top 100 because they're influencing individual people. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just don't know how they're even quantifying that. Mm-hmm. Did they go around and ask? I highly doubt it. Yeah. So what can they be quantifying it on? The only thing that that magazine is seeing is how they're presenting themselves. Right. So just by the nature of how they probably conducted the serve or the, the, the whatever, whatever you mm-hmm. call it. Who's got the most Facebook likes? Who's got the most Facebook likes? Who seems to be like in the scene? You know, yeah, who's stirring yeah. things up? Yeah. Because it can't. I'm sure they didn't talk to if if a hundred teachers have a hundred students. I'm sure they didn't talk to whatever that number. Turns no. Out to yeah. Be. They probably didn't go that no. into that much so detail. So it has to be based on something else. Yeah. And that something else is branding. Yeah. Exactly. Know? Okay. All right. I want to ask about something else that's sort of pretty current, um, but I I think it's you know it's a perennial problem, or it seems to be at least currently current perennial problem, <laughs> mm-hmm. if there is such a thing. Um, so, and I, do, I really don't want to talk about the specifics um, of who these people were, but I want to talk about the general issue of guru student abuse, because it's recently popped up in the news again. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I personally, it's, it's, it's such a hard thing for me to navigate because as a teacher, I certainly don't put myself on a pedestal and it's hard for me to imagine myself ever in a situation where a student would feel um, that I had negatively impacted them in that way. But what, I mean, is this, what is your understanding or what is your critique, if you have any, of the guru-student relationship as it's being practiced today? And what kind of responsibility do you place both on the guru and the student in these situations where the student is suing the guru or the student is going public about abuses by the teacher, etc. Okay, so my understanding of the guru tradition in India, as I have seen it, and then, but even more so as I've heard from people who mm-hmm. have who have been around longer than I have, the guru, and we have to talk about it because that's where it comes from, right? So the guru tradition is that people have oftentimes a number of gurus. Mm-hmm. You have your harmonium guru. You have your spiritual guru, you know, you have your yoga guru, you know, um, you don't always have one, mm-hmm. right? And they're, they're, they're these embodiments of the, of the practice they are teaching themselves. And because these practices are highly linked to God and spirituality, they in turn become vessels for that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. that kind of spiritual, deep kind of stuff. So you have a relationship with these people, and they're, they're like big deal teachers to you, you know? Um, so that's what that is, as far as I understand it. Now, the gurus that came to the United States, okay, so also in India, you have sort of your celebrity gurus now, so you, and this has been a part of their culture for a long time. You know, you see them on billboards and stuff when you drive around. So... Then you have the celebrity gurus who are just big shots. They're mm-hmm. just big. You know, mm-hmm. they have big, they fill up theaters and the whole thing. Those are the ones that we hear about. Yeah. Those are the ones who came here. And if they weren't that then in India, when, by the time they came here, they started to, to do that. And it might have taken some time for some of them, but eventually they get to that status. So we start to import this guru tradition into the United States, but we don't import it in the way that it has been for thousands of years in India. We only import the big 
the big shot ones mm-hmm. and that idea of what their role is. Mm-hmm. And those big shot ones have a, have a very particular take on what it means to be a guru, slightly different than what the other ones I was just talking about yeah. <laughs> might take. Um, now, that happens, and what you have at the same time around in the 60s is you start to have you know, Westerners kind of getting into this stuff. And then you have Adi Da, and you have, like, Western gurus now. Mm-hmm. You start to have Western gurus. They've taken on the idea of what these big-shot gurus, it's like to be a big-shot guru, and now it's all about them. I am the guru for everything. You want a harmonium guru? I'm that. You want a relationship guru? I'm that. You want a yoga guru? I'm that. You know, they're all of it. They're a one-stop shop, mm-hmm. basically, right? Which it wasn't necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't talk to your harmonium guru about, like, you know, necessarily matters of other concern. Though you might, but that's not really the deal there. So, so okay, so then you have that, right? Then you have that happening. And then when you have that, you have, then you have the, the, the students, and they've got no idea. They don't have any of the, infra- the mental infrastructure on how to relate to this because not yeah. only that, this is a very specific kind of guru representation they're yeah. dealing with. So you mix that. It's just like a recipe for disaster at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. You know, because ha- the idea of a teacher to us is like the teacher, the drill sergeant, you know, so they took on those, those qualities. You know, that's how we understand the preacher, the priest, you know. Um, so then you've got that going on, you know, and now this is what, 40, 30, 40, 50 years later, you know, you've got what we see today, which is people who don't, it's like a copy of a copy of a copy. Like I'll often talk about like the simulacrum, right? Baudrillard's big thing, which is a bit dated now, but I still think it's relevant. And this is part of it. It's like the copy of the copy of the copy without any, any understanding of the original. It's like a failed game of telephone. Exactly. And by the time you get to where we are now is you have this and now you have litigations and stuff for real abuses for in, in some cases, I guess, I don't know all this, all the details, but, um, so you have that. So you have this kind of superimposed replica of a replica on our culture that doesn't really fit. Doesn't resonate. And yeah. it's very young. Yeah. I mean, we're talking 50 years mm-hmm. of something that has been organically, uh, something that organically arose almost out of the ground yeah. of another continent. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's just a fucking <laughs> storm over here. It's just a <laughs> clusterfuck, you know? Uh, it's, better to, it's better to not go down that path. It seems to me, and I, and I appreciate what you're saying, and I totally agree with you, but it seems to me also that there seems, in this appropriation of the guru, in a, you know, that is just rife with all the things that you're saying, our own socialization and whatnot, there seems to be a, wrapped up in it, and, and, and what perhaps contributes to these abuses is a kind of maternal or a paternal investment in these particular figures. I'm wondering if you agree with that because it seems like they're they they're like father figures or mother figures to people. So there's a there's a certain like Oedipal narrative there that's a part of that relationship that then you know, you have to overthrow the father at some point, right? Yeah, I'm sure that shows up in India, so I don't want to, like, romanticize that. Yeah. But I, I find it very hard to believe that your harmonium guru, who would be a true guru in every sense of the word, mm-hmm. is a stand-in for your father mm-hmm. when it comes to the Indian tradition. Yeah, It yeah. just seems weird, Yeah, yeah. you know? But here, that's what happened. I mean, my... I, I, we never really got to write about this on the Babarazzi, but my feeling was 
that the best example we have of this kind of like full devotion practice is in S&M culture. Mm. Where that's where I would see it having the most, um, being the most fruitful. Mm-hmm. Because there it's voluntary. And it, okay, again, I don't want to romanticize. There's obviously dynamic things going on. But the idea being that if you want to relate to a guru as I'm giving my entire self over to the guru, it needs to be voluntary, just mm-hmm. as you would in a master-slave relationship or like yeah. some other yeah. sort of deep S&M, right? Mm-hmm. right? Not just like the mall version. You know, like I am giving myself over to this person voluntarily. Here's my safe word. Mm-hmm. Here's this, yeah. you know, so we can check out. But, but in those moments, in those times where you are fully given over to another person, you can then have the experiences of selflessness. Mm -hmm. You can then have the experiences of it's not me. It's something else. It's my God. Mm -hmm. But then cacao, right? Cacao, I'm I'm out. Safe word. Yeah. Well, and exactly. And I I like you using that as an analogy because what is interesting about that example is that there is a space for that. It's like it's it's a bracketed aspect of our lives in which we enter this, you know, S&M context yes. and you serve as, you know, you act as the slave, mm-hmm. you have your safe word, and then you leave that behind to go back mm-hmm. to your mm-hmm. egalitarian dynamics right. or whatever. Exactly. Yes. So it's interesting that, you know, even to be fully devoted in that way, it's still only a particular segment of our experience yes. is a particular layer and not, not, not the entirety of our, of yeah. our, of ourselves. And you can give yourself, and say it lasts a year, say it lasts a week or right, say it lasts a week, mm. right? You know, in that week you can have the experience of this will last forever. This will be, you know, you can go as far as yeah. you want, but there's a context that is safe mm-hmm. for, for lack of a better term, but that's a good term that you can do that in mm-hmm. and then you can come out, right? That's like, that's where I want to see it go. Mm-hmm. This, what we're going on now is just, it's just all weird, you know, just like misunderstandings of this tradition and that tradition, all like we have the tradition, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then, and then people not equipped with the tools to recognize their own psychological bullshit, which is contributing to whatever projection they're placing on their teacher. Yeah. It seems like. And I mean, not to exempt the teacher from responsibility, but I think that, you know, whenever we cite, it seems like in the media, whenever someone is cited as a guru, there's an automatic assumption that, oh, abuse, you know, power dynamic, the student was, is exempt of responsibility, poor little student, you know, abused by teacher. Right. When it just seems like, I don't, I don't know, that seems like a cheap response. Yeah, I know, you know, and I'm guilty of it. You know, I, I'm always like, be an adult, like, yeah. you know, use your head, you know, but like people come people from different, are, yeah. different backgrounds yeah. and have different family lives and stuff. So like, you have to be, you have to be gentle with it. You yeah. Know? And institution and um, institutions can manipulate people. And a lot of these do. teachers come out of, you know, or big organizations. Right. Okay. So now I want to, I want to move on to something because we don't have much time left, but I really want to ask, ask you this because when you were, um, when we were messaging each other about possible topics, this just stood out and I had to look it up. Uh, what, so anarcho mysticism <laughs> or mystical anarchism. Okay. What is it and how can it be seen as connecting to yoga practice? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, th- this is probably a, its own interview i'm sure yeah i mean that's you know when when you're asking like things i've I've been interested in so over the years you know i've kind of um been interested in sort of leftist politics and Mm -hmm. stuff and of course if you're interested in that you eventually end up looking at anarchism Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, you know, because I was also interested in mysticism and spirituality, you know, I found where the cross section, there was some, yeah. there's been some cross sections of that, um, by, uh, certain writers and stuff, uh, very much coming out of the sixties and seventies, but really seventies, but really hitting in the eighties and nineties with chaos magic and stuff. Not that I do any chaos magic or I'm not a chaos magician, but, um, you know, all that stuff is kind of flirting with this idea of like mysticism in a non-hierarchical kind of anarchistic way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's just been around me for a long time. And can you describe what that looks like compared to hierarchical mysticism? Like, can you give an example of hierarchical mysticism versus... Well, you know, it's kind of like we were just talking about. It's yeah. voluntary. It's almost like voluntaryism. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like you can go into a very hierarchical situation, but you have... It's voluntary, so you can come out of it. You can use structures so that structures are not a given, right? So the hierarchy is not a given. Mm-hmm. The hierarchy is a version of a structure that you can use for certain benefits. Sometimes it's good to have a beneficial dictator in like the group for a little while Mm -hmm. you know but you don't want it all the time you know so you you want to cut out right or cut them down right so it's voluntary i choose to participate in this sort of highly hierarchical order of mystics and then i want to like wander the earth and you know like be my own god Mm -hmm. you know it's that yeah you know where you can play it's more playful in that sense rather than sort of uh inherent Mm -hmm. you know um so yeah, so it's hard to say like how does it how would it differ visually because it, it's all over the. I mean, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's hard to say hmm. how that would show up visually. You, you know, you just know people. You know, you just know people who kind of take that approach. You mm-hmm. know, they just have a. Whoops! I just shut off my microphone for a second. <laughs> that would have been bad. Yeah, I'm always afraid of that happening. Yeah, yeah. All right, so. Um, Okay, so last questions. Um, so obviously we've been talking a little bit. I feel like a lot of this discussion has circled around notions of the spectacle, which you bring up, which I'm, I'm assuming this is a Guy Debord concept. Guy Debord, uh-huh. Yes. Debord? Is Guy Debord. Debord. Mm-hmm. Debord. Debord, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is this concept similar to, if you see it similar to Maya, the, the concept of illusion? Well, you know, the situationists who, who were, you know, Gita Bord's kind of, uh, his, his, that was his, his people. Gita Bord. Okay. I really did butcher that name. That's how I, I mean, maybe I'm saying it wrong. That's how I always knew it. Um, but, uh, so yeah. That guy um, <laughs> who killed himself eventually. I think he shot himself in the heart or something terrible. Wow. Something very French. Um, <laughs> served me very French to do. But uh, uh, so the situationists had this one thing that they said that I really took to heart, which they said, so the spectacle is kind of like the facade, just like the mm-hmm. representation of, of organic, authentic, genuine human experience Mm -hmm. represented back to the public. Um, They said, take it seriously. That was at least one of their things. They were always contradicting each other and saying, changing, they were always critiquing each other. Um, But they said at one point, take it seriously, take it literally, I think they even said. So when Pepsi or some soda company says, we're the best, say, okay, well, prove it. You know, like, take them literally, take Mm -hmm. them at their word. You know, so engage it, you know, um, and I always thought that was just kind of brilliant because mm-hmm. when you start, when you start taking what, what 
commerce, and this very much true in the yoga world, that presents itself in very much the same way as any other soda company or anything else. When you start taking it literally as if someone's talking to you, it becomes very much an affront on your, on your person mm-hmm. because they're yelling at you. The speech of commerce is yelling. Yeah. It's exclamation points. It's bold type. It's just constantly... Capital just, letters. Exactly. <laughs> so it's constantly, it's constantly yelling at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would, never, like, you would never stand for someone in your room talking to you the way that commercial yoga culture even talks so to you. So true, yeah. Um, so... You know, how does that relate to Maya, the illusion? I mean, I once heard a Zen priest whose name I can't remember, this was years ago, say, well, everything's real, right? Everything's real. Mm -hmm. Because someone was talking about, like, it's all an illusion. He's like, well, it's all real. Yeah. You know? So you have to engage in it. You know what I mean? The illusion may be an an elusive, may have an elusive quality to it. Maya may have an elusive quality to it, but it is not neutral. Yeah. It is not a neutral experience. So you should engage with it, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and, and that's where people get in trouble when they're like, you know, politics is, is bullshit, you know, cause it's all an illusion anyway or something. It's yeah. Like, yeah. It's an illusion that has a direct effect. Totally. Like, it's like the difference. It's like the difference between escapism versus engaging in order to neutralize whatever, you know, yeah. the, the effect is or the, the problem, the symptom is. You yes. can't you can't just like say it's an illusion and then run away because it's still going to have a material effect on your life even if you're ignoring it if you're ignoring it or not. Rather, it's the illusory quality is real, but the only way to like neutralize its illusory quality is to engage. All yes, all the spiritual teachers that confronted something called illusion or Maya, you know, it was not a passive experience. Mm-hmm, yeah. Maya was presented as something tantalizing, whether mm-hmm. it was like the olden days, like a woman or whatever, you yeah. know what I mean? Or like <laughs> sweets or money, mm-hmm. you know, or like all the riches in the world, you know, it wasn't neutral. It wasn't passive. It was like, take this, do this, do this. And these people had to resist it or get kind of judo on it mm-hmm. and do stuff with it. You know, yeah. they engaged it. That's yeah. what they did. Yeah. It was not, they didn't turn their back. Mm-hmm. You know, they either stood their ground or they pushed it away or they did whatever the techniques they were taught. You know, yeah. Jesus had his techniques, Buddha had his techniques, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, you gotta, it, it's, <laughs> it's not going away Yeah, and it's not, it's out to get you. <laughs> wow. It's out to get you folks. Well, that's a good, that's a good place to end on. <laughs> that's a terrible place. Uh, to end. <laughs> I like to end on notes like that. Um, so this has been an, an awesome conversation. Great, I wish we could you. chat more. Me we'll too. have to do it again for sure. Um, but to end with, I want to just ask or give you an opportunity to share uh, your main projects at the moment. Obviously you have a studio here in Brooklyn. Um, so if you want to give some details, maybe on some workshops that are coming up, some, if you're doing any retreats or any trainings, or anything that you want to share? Sure. Um, this won't affect anyone because it's tonight while we're recording this, but mm-hmm. I am giving a talk tonight at the center. And I run uh, what you mentioned in the beginning, uh, uh, own and run the Church Avenue Yoga and Body Work Center. And quite simply, it's a place where we teach yoga in the morning. Um, it's based on the teachings of Krishnamacharya as they pass through Patabi Joyce. There's a bit of Vinyasa Krama. It's very, um, very individual-based practice. Um, and we do that from, from about 6.30 to 11 a.m. in the mornings during the week and, and a bit on the weekend. And um, I uh, practice a form of body work known as Tui Na, which is a mm. Chinese form of, of not really massage therapy, but kind of. You know, yeah. it's body work with the hands. Um, you know, and I do that. And um, 
Yeah, it's it's a pretty simple place. People mm-hmm. feel when they come there that it's very simple, and it allows it to like a simple place allows people to have the deep experience. Yes, I think. Yeah. because the stuff is already. You don't have to do much. Mm-hmm. If you're getting up and you're practicing, it's pretty intense. Yeah, you know, you totally. don't need any anything else. So, yeah. so that's that's what I do there. Great. Yeah. And what's the 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 website? The website is www.church-av.com. Church-av.com. That's the one. Great. Yeah. And then finally, do you have uh, one of the things we offer on the website is what I call the Embodied Philosophers Library, which is just a, a very large annotated bibliography of a lot of different yoga and wisdom books. So I'm wondering if you want to share a couple books that um, inspired you on your path. I mean, I know there are (laughs) doubtless so many, but, you know, if two or three... It's like, what's your favorite band? Yeah, right. (laughs) I know. I know. People always find this a little bit challenging. Uh, I mean, there... I mean, if you look, there's just... There are books There's a lot of books here. Everywhere. So, (laughs) you know... God. (laughs) I, I, I mean... Well, if you think of some, you yeah. can send me an email and I can put them in the I'd show notes. I'd love to send you a little, just a quick little list. I'll give you like a half a dozen. Yeah, great, great. That, no that sounds good. Sorry, guys. All right, yeah, yeah, you'll have to check back for that, guys. All right, thank you so much, Bob. It's been thank such you. a pleasure. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You too. Well, friends, that was our interview with Bob Dotto. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in meeting Bob or attending any of the workshops or classes that he has at his center in Brooklyn, if you're visiting or you live in the New York City area, again, his uh, the website for his center is www.churchav.com. That's church-av.com. Until next time, friends, namaste. <laughs>